So the Quran indicates the occurrence of the Big Bang. Okay, so this is like one example of a scientific miracle. And then there's other examples. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to another episode of Kalam Kalbi. And today we have a special guest, Mufti. No, is it Mufti Dawood? Dawood is good. The Dawood. Soon to be. Okay. We're going to dive right into the topic, which is the Quran. Okay. We're just going to talk about the Quran and its miracles and why it's so special compared to all the other books out there. Okay. So, first, we're going to explain. I mean, I'm going to ask you, can you explain the miracle of the Qur'an's eloquence and style? Everyone be comfortable, inshallah. Feel free to ask anything if you don't understand. Alright? The purpose of this talk and this topic specifically, in about two months, we have a very special month coming. Ramadan is coming. Ramadan is the month of the Qur'an. Everyone thinks Ramadan is all about fasting. But Ramadan is also very, very closely related to the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, in Surah Baqarah, Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-Quran. It is the month of Ramadan. Now Allah has to define Ramadan, right? He has to describe Ramadan for you. How does he describe Ramadan? He says it's that month in which the Quran was revealed. So the Quran has a very strong connection with the month of Ramadan. And that's why this is one of the reasons we chose this topic, so we can encourage ourselves in these two months, let's prepare. Let's recite Quran every single day. Let's understand the Quran. Let's read books on the Quran. So when Ramadan comes, it'll be easier for us, inshallah. Um, now, with regards to the actual question, uh, can I explain what was the story? Um, can you explain the miracle? The miracle of, of, the of, the, of the Quran's eloquence and style. So there's a hadith. There's a hadith mentioned by um, Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, rahimahumullah. Well, the narrate that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لم يأتي نبي من الأنبياء إلا أوتي من الآيات ما مثله آمن عليه البشر. That there has been no prophet that came except that he was given certain signs, and these signs they were such that people would genuinely believe in them. And I'll give you a few examples. Salih alayhi salam when he told his people to believe, they said we need a sign. So Salih said, okay, I'm gonna make a camel come out of this mountain by the will of Allah, and a pregnancy camel came out. Right? Isa alayhi salam, when he came to his people, they said, look, we need signs. He said, all right, perfect. I'll give you signs. You have food in your fridge at home? I'll tell you what, you food, what your food is. You see this bird? Or that's, or you see this clay I have? I'll make a bird out of it and I'll blow into it. And by the will of Allah, the bird will come to life. So each prophet had certain signs. Musa alayhi salam, for instance, he had the staff. That when he threw it down, it turned into a snake. And when he put his hand towards his left, his right, his right hand, when he pulled it out of his left side from here, it would come out as white and glowing and shining. So each and every single prophet was given certain times, ma mithluhu amana alayhi al-bashar. People tend to believe in these signs. Right? They have a they have a big effect on people. Then the Prophet says, The only thing I was given was this wahi, this revelation which Allah has revealed upon me. Meaning the Prophet is saying, My greatest sign. My greatest miracle is this Quran. And then he says that based on this, I wish that on the day of judgment, I will have the most followers. 
So out of all the miracles of the Prophet وسلم, and if you read the life of the Prophet وسلم, you'll see he had a lot of miracles. A lot of miracles. For instance, one time Abu Hurairah he was really hungry. So he was laying down and he was on the ground. That's how hungry he was. He, he had no power. <laughs> so Abu Bakr came by, Umar came by and Abu Hurairah gave them a hint that, you know, I'm really hungry. They didn't realize. The Prophet وسلم, walked by, he realized right away. He said, you know what, come with me. They go, where do they go? They go to the Prophet ﷺ's house. And the Prophet gets this bowl of milk, this container of milk. Then he looks at Abu Hurairah. Abu Hurairah is thinking, okay, he's going to give it to me, right? The Prophet says, no. Go call Ahlul Sufa. Ahlul Sufa are like 60 plus people. Right? This is the first madrasa, by the way. The first institution of Islamic knowledge was Ahlul Sufa. These are the poor people in Medina who didn't have enough to, enough to take care of themselves. So they had an area around the masjid where they used to stay. And the sahaba and other people would bring them food and they would live, live off of that. So the Prophet says, call all of them. Now Abu Hurairah is thinking it's a small container of milk. How is he going to feed all those people? He says, call all of them. Abu Hurairah goes, he calls all of them. Everyone comes in. And they come in one by one and they each drink. And every single person drinks to their full. One after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. Abu Hurairah says, everyone keeps coming, everyone goes until all that's left is me and the Prophet And then the Prophet says, drink. So Abu Hurairah says, I drank to my full. I give it back to him, he says, no, drink more. So I drink more until the time came, I couldn't drink. Now this was all from one container of milk, right? So this is one of the miracles of Nabi wasallam, And there are many more. If you, read the, if you read the life of the Prophet wasallam, there are many more miracles of the Prophet wasallam. But the Quran is the greatest miracle. The Quran is the greatest miracle. Now for us, it's hard to understand this at times. Number one, we don't understand Arabic. Correct? I know some of us may be studying, alhamdulillah, but majority of us don't understand the, the, the Quranic Arabic. Number two, generally speaking, unfortunately, we're not that connected to the Quran. We aren't that connected to the Quran. Right? And this is something we need to work on, that every single day we should have time, 30 minutes in the morning, in nighttime, I just pray Quran just to understand, just to, just to spend time with my Lord. I want Allah to talk to me, so I want to read the Quran. I want to understand what Allah is saying to me, so I'll read the translation. This is a habit we need to create. When it comes to the miracle of the Quran, a lot of us, for us, it's difficult to understand because the Arabic is not our language. So how exactly do we understand this? What I'm going to do is, I'll mention a few things about the Quran to you, and then I'll bring an example to show you how beautiful and how accurate the Quran is. See, the Quran, when you write a book, I don't know if anyone's reading here, when you write, you have to put a lot of mental energy into it. Every time you write, I'm sure everyone's been to school and university and college and whatnot. When you write normally, you have to think a lot. Number one, what am I going to write? Number two, the format. Number three, the content. Where will I get the content from? Number four, how will I organize the content? All these different things. And many times when you write, you write something one day, and then tomorrow you come back, you're like, wait a minute, I can make it better. And you change it up, right? Or for instance, you write a sentence, you're like, you know what, this doesn't fit better here. This should go above somewhere over there. So every single time you have, you're changing it, you're changing it, you're changing it. This is when we, normally when we write, this is how we write. The Quran wasn't revealed like this. The Quran wasn't revealed as a book. The Quran was revealed verbatim. Meaning Jibra'il heard the Quran from Allah and he came down and he read it upon the Prophet And then the Prophet read it upon his people. This is why the verse of the Quran in Surah Al-Qiyamah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet, لا تحرك به لسانك لتعجل به إن علينا جمعه وقرآنه فإذا قرأناه فاتبع قرآنه 
The story behind these verses, as mentioned by Ibn Abbas عن, in the narration of Bukhari, is that the Prophet وسلم, when the Quran was revealed upon him, he would be really worried. He would be worried because the Quran is being revealed. Number one, it's a lot of pressure. There's actually a narration that mentions that one time the Prophet, his thigh was upon someone else's thigh when the Quran was revealed. And the person said, I felt like my thigh was getting crushed. Just out of the, the weight of the Quran. And another Quranic verse actually explains this. لَوْ أَنزَلْنَا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ عَلَىٰ جَبَلٍ That were we to reveal this Quran upon, upon a mountain, لَرَأَيْتَهُ خَاشِعًا مُتَصَدِّعًا You would see it trembling and humble before the Quran. So the Quran is very weighty, it's very heavy. So the Prophet ﷺ, when the Quran was revealed, he'd be booming his lips, he'd be reciting after Jibreel just to make sure he can memorize everything so he doesn't miss anything. And afterwards he'd go and he'd tell his companions, Allah says you don't need to do this. The Quran will be revealed, you listen calmly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of his preservation. Allah will take care of his preservation and we're going to explain it to you and then you're going to go and you're going to tell your companions. So the Quran wasn't revealed as a written book. It was revealed through Jibra'il verbatim. And there were no like mistakes. It's not like, you know, he comes down one day, reveals something, he's like, you know what, I made a mistake yesterday, let me change it. No. Jibra'il is a very strong messenger. He wouldn't make a mistake like this. And neither is it Neither is it, is it something we can comprehend or something we can fathom that there's any mistakes in the Quran. The Quran is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it was revealed as it was in the heavens. And it comes time to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, as it was revealed upon him, he goes and he reads it to his companions. And then the companions learn the Quran and they recite the Quran amongst each other. And then they go on after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam passes away and they spread it amongst their students. Alright? There was no mistakes like one day the Quran revealed one verse next day comes down, you know what, add something on. Or for instance, you know what, that verse, the wording was a bit incorrect, change the wording. It was straight revealed, just straight verbatim, that's all. Number one. Number two, the Quran wasn't revealed in one go. The Quran was revealed over a course of how many years? 23. So first, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gets prophethood at the age of 40. And that's when the first verses are revealed. That, O Muhammad, recite in the name of your Lord. Uh, who, who created He created the human being from a blood from a blood clot. Recite, and your Lord is the most generous. He is the one who taught you how to write with the pen. He taught the human being what the human being did not know. So this is the first revelation. And then afterwards, periodically more ayat were revealed and then other ayat and then other ayat and then other ayat and as soon as a verse was revealed the Prophet would say okay put it in that chapter in that area again this was divinely inspired put it in that chapter in that area put it in that chapter in that area so you have different verses being revealed at the same time different occasions different incidents verses are revealed for different incidents for instance sometimes someone may ask a question and in reply to a question a verse may come down other times the Quraysh may make a demand and in reply to their demand, a verse may come down. In other instances, the Jews may some say, say something. And then a verse may come down. Sometimes there's something that happens in the community and Allah needs to address that. So a verse comes down. Sometimes it's for legal law. Legal rulings need to be addressed in the Quran. So they come down. Different contents, different times, all being revealed together, are all being stationed, put it there, put it there, put it there, put it there, put it there. Now when you think of this, when you think of this, number one, there's no writing. I mean, the Quran is being revealed verbatim. There's no, there's, no, there's no room for, okay, that was a mistake yesterday, change it, add this in now. None of that. And number two, it's being revealed over a course of 23 years, 
different topics, different content, different areas, different times due to different reasons. When you put all this together, would you ever think this book would be organized? Well, you wouldn't. Generally speaking, it can't be organized. That's impossible because look, when you have to make, when an architect need to make, needs to make a building or when an engineer needs to design something, what's the first thing you do? You have to make sure you plan everything out, you make a nice big layout, and then you look at all your all the content you have, you understand all the content you have, and then you put it in this format, and then you pass it forward, and then it gets approved, etc, etc. There's a whole process that goes behind it. But the Quran was revealed upon the Prophet, and the Prophet recited upon the people, that's all. There was no long process. So you think, generally, the thought that would come to your mind is, this Quran is not organized. The Quran will not be organized. Despite that, somehow, when every verse comes into its place, and it comes into its place, and you start reading, you realize, wait a minute, this is really organized. At first, it may seem different topics clashing with each other, but if you think about it, it is really organized. And at times, you start to think, this is like this is like pearls. It's like a pearl is put into a necklace. Everything in this is in its perfect place. Or in fact, I wouldn't even say pearls. It's like it's, this, it's, it's, it's part of the same body. Everything complements each other. Everything completes each other. This verse was revealed in so-and-so year. This verse was revealed three years later. But when they're put together, they completely complement each other. They finish each other off. And there's a connection between the two. But again, this was randomly, it was revealed due to certain uh, incidents. It was revealed to, due to different occasions. Many times they have different, different topics, different themes. Like for instance, the Makkah, for instance, the Makkah surahs, the surahs which are revealed in Makkah, they normally talk about Tawheed, the oneness of Allah, Risala, the Prophet of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al-Ba'thu wa-Nushur, resurrection in front of Allah on the Day of Judgment. These are the topics discussed over there. The Madini surahs, they discuss things from a different angle. They go about legal law, or about rulings, or they, 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 they address the matters raised by the Jews. Each surah has a different flow to it. But when these surahs come together, they create this perfect, perfect connection. And then you're bewildered and you say, wait a minute, how is that possible? You'd have to think about it. You'd have to organize every single thing. But the Quran does it in this manner over a course of 23 years. And it's absolutely perfect. Now I said, I'll give you an example. Yeah, I think everyone's listening right now, but it's not really making perfect sense. So let's give an example, inshallah. Um, let's take Surah Rahman and Surah Waqi'ah. Let's take Surah Rahman and Surah Waqi'ah. Does anyone know Surah Rahman, Surah Waqi'ah? Or has anyone read the translation? Right? Inshallah. So these two surahs, okay, they're both in the 27th Juz of the Quran. And Surah Rahman comes first, it's the 55th chapter, I believe. And Surah Waqi'ah comes next, the 56th. Or maybe it's 56, 57. One of the two. Surah Rahman has certain themes it discusses. And then Surah Waqi'ah has certain themes it discusses. Surprisingly, when you look at these two surahs and you point point out their themes, the surahs completely perfect each other. They complement each other. And I'll explain to you how. What's the first verse of Surah Al-Rahman? Al-Rahman. Allah is the most merciful. This is the introduction. This is our introduction. Allam Al-Quran. This is the first topic. Allah is the one who taught the Quran. This is the first topic. And notice, notice, I'll just mention this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins off the surah with his mention of his mercy and the very first thing he mentions is what? The Quran. The Quran is not a burden. The Quran is not a burden. It's from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it should be taught with mercy and it should be received with mercy. When you recite the Quran, enjoy the Quran. Don't just read because you're being forced. Or I mean, nowadays you're not even forced. Don't just read because it's a hassle. No. Understand the Quran and create a connection with the Quran. 
So Ar-Rahman wa'allam al-Quran. This is the most merciful who taught the Quran. This is the first topic. He taught the Quran. If you guys have phones, write this down. This will help you, inshallah. It'll help you organize the two things. Inshallah. Come on, come on. Take your phones out. Come on. We're going to make this like a class. I'm sorry, man. Good. So, first we have an introduction. Ar-Rahman, the most merciful. Then we have Allam al-Quran. He taught the Quran. The first topic is the Quran. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He goes on to speak about the signs of Allah. Khalaq al-Insan. Allah created the human being. Allamahu al-Bayan. He taught him speech. And these amazing signs. Right? That Allah is the Lord of the of, of, of the um, of the east and the west and the south and the north. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created these two seas which meet but they never mix. Maraj al-Bahrain yaltaqiyan. Baynahumma barzakh. In between them there's a barrier. La yabghiyan. Neither of the two seas come on the other side. The fresh sits on the fresh side and the salt water sits on the salt water side. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions different signs of His. For one page, just signs of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is our second topic. Number one, the Quran. And number two, signs of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Good. Our third topic, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He begins to speak about... About? Hell. Is it hell? Yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins to speak about people who disobeyed Allah. People who turned away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And He said that these criminal, criminals, they're going, to be, they're going to have signs. They're going to be taken from their يُؤْخَذُ بِالنَّوَاصِي وَالْأَقْدَامِ From their forelocks and from their feet. And they're going to be chained. And they're going to have signs on their heads. Because they disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He turned away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the punishments are mentioning are mentioned that يَطُوفُونَ بَيْنَهَا وَبَيْنَ حَمِيمٍ آن They're going to be going between hell and between boiling water. Because when you go to hell you get thirsty so you want water but the water is boiling. It pours your intestines out. So this is the punishment mentioned in these verses that the people who disobeyed Allah and they didn't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they will be met with this punishment. So our third topic is what? The people of hell and their punishment. Our fourth topic then one of the habits of the Quran is whenever hell is mentioned or whenever Jannah is mentioned the opposite will be mentioned. Over here hell was mentioned so right afterwards was mentioned? Jannah. Jannah. Then Allah says As for that person who feared Allah who feared Allah in this world who feared Allah in his workplace, in his school, in his university, in the masjid, with his friends, with his family. But he was aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He knew Allah was watching him. So he was fearful of his sta- his status before his Lord. He was fearful of his standing before his Lord. He says he will get two paradises, two gardens. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to continue and he mentions all of the blessings or many of the blessings in this garden. You have two springs flowing. Which of the blessings of your Lord will you? Will you be lie? Will you falsify? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions many blessings that these people will have every type of fruit. They'll have a pair from every type of fruit. And the fruits of Jannah are not like the fruits of today. Surah Al-Baqarah actually mentions that in Jannah a person will be given a fruit. And he'll say this is the exact same fruit I was given earlier. But once he eats it he'll realize it wasn't the exact same fruit. It's completely different. Right, so the blessings of Allah, the blessings of Jannah isn't something we can begin to understand. Jannah has that which no eye can see, that which no ear, which no ear hears, which no ear has heard. Jannah has that which no person has ever thought of. These are the blessings Allah has in store. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions a list of blessings for the people who fear their status or they feel their place in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And after this, the last ruku, our last topics, we have four topics so far, the Quran, um, the signs of Allah, the greatness of Allah, hell, and the people of hell, their punishment, the people of Jannah. But this Jannah, this Jannah is of a lower level. Then we have a Jannah which is mentioned of a higher level, according to the Makhshari's tafsir. A Jannah which is of a higher level. Allah says, وَمِن دُونِهِمَا جَنَّتَانِ Aside from these two, there are two more gardens. And then when you begin to look at the descriptions of these gardens, you realize these ones may actually be better than the previous two. Because earlier Allah said, فِيهِمَا عَيْنَانِ tajriyan." You have two streams rushing forward, flowing, right? One thing is for water to flow. And one thing is for water to burst out. Allah says, فِيهِمَا عَيْنَانِ These streams are bursting out. They're going everywhere. And then earlier Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they have tree, uh, the wata afnan, they have branches shading them. But over here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, matan. It's not just branches, they're like filled with leaves. Idham means to be black. Can you think of a black tree? It's not black, it's so dark, it's so green, it's so luscious, you think it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's staring at you, it's daring you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing this jannah, and you realize the descriptions in the second page, they're actually better than the ones earlier. Right? And then finally, the surah comes to an end. So what are our five topics? Number one, come on, help me out. The Quran. Before that, there's an introduction, alright? We'll put it this the introduction Al Rahman, Allah is the most merciful. Keep that in mind, by the way. Number two, or the, the, sorry, the first topic. The first topic is the Quran. The second topic is the greatness of Allah's signs. The, 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 the signs of Allah's greatness, sorry. Third topic is hell and punishment. Our fourth topic is Jannah, but of the lower level. Perfect. And our fifth topic is Jannah, the higher level. We have this down. Okay. Now let's go on to Ida Waqa'atil Waqi'ah. Waqi'a means the reckoning, right? The thing which is meant to occur, it will necessarily occur, the Day of Judgment. Allah says, when the Day of Judgment occurs, and He paints this picture, The earth will be shook. The mountains will be uh, turned to nothing. It's like they're just hot and flowing around. And all of mankind will be distributed into three people. You have the people of the right hand. You have the people of the left hand. And then you have the people racing ahead. The foremost, the forerunners. They're in front of everyone. The surah begins with mention of the Day of Judgment. And the surah begins with mention of a calamity that will befall people. Now look at how this is in contrast, perfect contrast with our beginning of Surah Dur-Rahman. Surah Dur-Rahman mentioned what? Mercy. Over here we're hearing about? The reckoning. The reckoning, the day of judgment. Let me tell you an interesting hadith. The Prophet Sallallahu mentions that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has a hundred shares of mercy. From those hundred shares, all the mercy you see in this world, all of them, they're from one share of mercy. The mother who loves her child is from one share of mercy. The, the lioness which takes care of her child in the jungle and the animals across the whole globe, which all care for their children, is all from one share of mercy. Allah has kept away 99 shares of mercy for which day? For the Day of Judgment. And look at these two surahs. Ar-Rahman, Allah is the most merciful. What's our introduction to Al-Waqiyah? The Day of Judgment. It's a perfect contrast. Okay, now let's move ahead. The first topic to be discussed in Surah Al-Waqiyah, after the introductory topic, and everyone will be into three groups, is the Sabiqun and Sabiqun. The foremost people, the best of the best. The best of the best. And Allah mentions a bunch of blessings and bounties they will have. And notice, what was the last topic in Surah Rahman? 
the highest level of Jannah. What's the first topic in Surah Al-Waqi'ah? The best of the best. Okay. After As-Sabiqoon, As-Sabiqoon, what's the very next topic? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about Ashab Al-Yameen. The people of the right hand. The people of the right hand are people from Jannah. And they have great blessings. But they're not the same as As-Sabiqoon, As-Sabiqoon. They're a level lower than them. They're a level lower than them. What was the second last topic of Surah Al-Rahman? The lower level of Jannah. Alright, so we start off Surah Al-Waqiyah and starts off with the highest level of Jannah, the foremost people, the forerunners, and then he speaks about the lower level of Jannah, Ashab al-Yameen, the people of the right hand. Guess what the third topic is? Ashab al-Shimal, the people of the left hand, the people of the hellfire. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he pictures, or he, 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 he provides us with a picture of hellfire. He tells us this is the punishment that will occur in hellfire. What was the third, third topic in Surah Al-Rahman? The people of the hellfire. Guess what the fourth topic is in Surah Al-Waqiyah? The greatness of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Look, the rain you have, is it you who causes this rain to come or is it us? The fire you have, the fire you use to, to, to help yourself, to, to warm yourself up and to give you light. Who causes this fire? Who created the crops? Who does all of this for you? It's Allah. So now we have the signs, the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And finally, the last topic فَلَا أُقَسِمُ بِمَا تُبْصِرُونَ وَمَا لَا تُبْصِرُونَ إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلُ رَسُولٍ كَرِيمٍ This Qur'an is the last topic. The Qur'an is the very last topic in Surah Al-Waqiyah. Now once again, look. Let's look at this. Surah Al-Rahman's first topic was what? The, the most merciful. No, that was the introduction. Oh, the introduction. And it was the Qur'an. The first, the first topic one. was the Qur'an. What's the last topic of Surah Al-Waqiyah? The Qur'an. What's the second topic of the Rahman? Uh, Allah's greatness. What's the second last topic of Waqiyah? The greatness of Allah. What's the third third topic of Rahman? Hell and his punishments. Nope. Oh, sorry, sorry, it's correct. Hell and his punishments. Yeah. What's the third topic in Waqiyah? The people of the left hand who will go to hell. The people of the left hand will go to Jahannam hell. What's the fourth topic in Rahman? Uh, Jannah, the lower level. Jannah, the lower level. What's the f- second topic or the fourth last in Surah Al-Waqiyah? Ashab al-Yameen, the people of the right hand. What's the last topic in Rahman? Uh, Jannah, higher level. The higher level of Jannah. What's the last topic in... So what's the first topic in Waqiyah? Asabiqun, Asabiqun. It's a complete mirror. It's a complete mirror. Alright? And remember, now, you think it's... Okay, cool, that's a complete mirror. What about it? If you were to write this, you'd have to have all this information in your head, correct? The Prophet didn't know any of this. It was being revealed upon him. There were no takebacks. He goes out, he tells his people, and the people are like, yo, what? Because they understand Arabic. So they're shocked. They're like, that isn't, that, that's not simple, that's not easy. But then it happens once, and then it happens again, and then it happens again, and then you have different miracles, and then there's predictions in the Quran, and these people are laughing, because there's no way that's gonna happen. Ten years later, it happens. So now you seem to, you, you start to understand the Quran isn't just any normal book. The Quran isn't just any normal book. This is revealed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is revealed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet tells the people, I don't write this. It's from Allah. It's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet wasn't, he didn't learn how to read and write. He was unlettered. We don't say illiterate, we say he was unlettered. He wasn't taught how to read and write. He never composed poetry. And the Arabs were masters in their language. They knew, they were known for the language. In fact, they took so, so much pride in their poetry, they hung poetry in the Kaaba. But now this book comes, it's not poetry, it's in prose, but it's not like any other prose. It's blows away every single person. They're surprised. They can't say he's a magician because it's not magic. They can't say he's a poet because he's not a poet. They can't say anything. They're just shocked. 
So just start thinking of excuses. Just start telling people, you know what, put cotton in your ears. Don't listen to him. He'll cause problems in your family. Just start thinking of things. You know, it's good. It's easy when your friends agree with you, right? Even the leaders of the Quraysh knew the Quran was true. Even they knew the Quran was true. I'll give you an example. There's one leader of the Quraysh, Al-Walid bin Mughira. Al-Walid bin Mughira was one of the top, top leaders of the Quraysh. Okay, from the tribe of Banu Maksum. He's actually the father of Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu ta'ala an, who accepted Islam much later. But Al-Walid bin Mughira, one time he went to the Prophet to talk to him. And after talking to the Prophet, the Prophet, now you listen to me. And he recited the Quran. Walid was shook. He comes back and obviously word spreads around in Makkah that Walid, Walid, Walid was shook by the Prophet. He's, he's softened up now. He's starting to like him. So Abu Jahal, who was related to Walid, like, don't worry, I'll take care of him. Abu Jahal goes, by the way, Abu Jahal, he's the Fir'aun of this Ummah. He's the Fir'aun of this Ummah. Abu Jahal goes to Al-Walid, he says, he comes in like all like, you know, like bothered and this, that. He's like, your people, you know, what can I tell you? They're going to gather food for you. Walid's rich. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, everyone's saying that you're going to Muhammad because you're feeling poor and you need some food. That's an insult. So Walid's like, Quraysh knows I have more money than all of them. They know very well I'm the most richest person here. What do you want? So he says, look, you have to say something about the Quran because your people are not happy with you. Your people are not happy with you. But he says, what can I say? Right? The Quran has a halal, it has a sweetness to it. And it has a talawa, it has beauty to it. The top of it is fruitful. The bottom of it is filled with beauty. What can I say about it? So he starts thinking, he starts thinking. He said, I can't say he's a poet. I can't say he's a madman. I can't say any of this. He says, you know what? I can't even say it's magic. He says, you know what? I can say it's just tales of the ancient. Or it's a type of sorcery which has been passed down. He's heard it from other people. In هَذَا إِلَّا سِحْرٌ In هَذَا إِلَّا قَوْلُ الْبَشَرِ He says, you know what? I'll tell people this is just sayings of men. Allah says, This person knew the truth. And he was very well aware of the truth. But for his people, he changed his. He didn't follow the truth. What does Allah say? I will enter him into the hellfire. What do you know about the hellfire? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to uh, describe the punishment that Walid ibn Mughira will face. But this is an example to you that even the leaders of Quraysh, they understood very well that the Quran is not like any other speech. It's miraculous. Now I give you one example. I give you one example. I can give you multiple surahs. I can give you multiple verses where within a verse itself this happens. If you look at Ayatul Kursi, Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum, that verse is a complete mirror. That verse is a complete yeah. mirror. Allah la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum. Allah, there is none worthy of worship except for Him. Al-Hayy, the ever-living, al-qayyum, uh, the one who takes care of everything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who, who keeps this world standing. He is the one who keeps the skies. He is the one who keeps creation as a whole as it is. La ta'khuduhu sinatinatum wa Fatigue and sleep never overcomes Allah. One is sleep, but one is fatigue. What's fatigue? That's fatigue when you drop down and then you get back up and then you drop down again and then you get back up and then you drop down again and you get back up. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's not overcome by sleep or fatigue. For Allah is whatever is in the heavens and the earth. Who can ever intercede? Who can ever intercede in front of Allah except, except by his 
permission. يَعْلَمُ مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمَا خَلْفَهُمْ He knows what is to comfort them, what is ahead of them, and he knows what is before. He knows what is ahead and he knows what is before. وَلَا يُحِيطُونَ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنْ عِلْمِهِ إِلَّا بِمَا These people have no knowledge except that which Allah rules. وَسِعَ كُرْسِيُّهُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ And his kursi, his throne extends over the heavens and the earth. وَلَا يَؤُودُهُ حِفْظُهُمَا Allah is never tired by taking care of them. Allah is never fatigued by watching over the heavens and the earth. وَهُوَ الْعَلِيُّ الْعَظِيمُ And he is the, the, the highest, the greatest. Okay, let's look now. What's the first part of the verse? Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum. He's the ever-living and he sustains everything. We have two qualities of Allah. Look at the end of the verse. وَهُوَ الْعَلِيُّ الْعَظِيمُ Allah is the highest, he is the greatest. Two qualities of Allah. What's the second part of the verse? لا تأخذه سِنَةٌ وَلَا نَوْمٌ Nor no, fatigue and sleep doesn't, overcome, doesn't overtake Allah. What's the second last part of the verse? وَلَا يَؤُودُهُ حِفْظُهُمَا Allah is not tired from protecting the heavens and the earth. He doesn't grow tired of holding them up. What's the third part of the verse? Allah controls and owns that all that which is within the heavens and in the earth. What's the last third last part of the verse? Allah's kursi, his throne extends over the heavens and the earth. Allah has everything within the heavens and the earth and Allah's kursi extends over the heavens and the earth. What's the fourth part of the verse? مَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يَشْفَعُ عِنْدَهُ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِي Who can ever intercede in front of Allah except with His permission? What's the fourth last part? وَلَا يُحِيطُونَ بِشَيْءٍ مِنْ إِلْمِي إِلَّا بِمَا شَاءٍ They have no knowledge except that which Allah wills. Over here you can only intercede by the will of Allah and over there you only have knowledge by the will of Allah. What's in the middle? يَعْلَمُ مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمَا خَلْفَهُمْ Allah knows what's before, Allah knows what's after. Now you tell me, someone writes this amazing, correct? Someone thinks of this amazing. The Quran is not revealed in, 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 in writing. It's revealed verbatim. And there's no changing. You think the Quraysh would let, if the, if the Quran changed, you think the Quraysh would remain silent? They would jump onto it. Be like, oh, you were saying this yesterday, you changed it today. Right, by the way, this is a different, uh, I'm just going to allude towards a different topic. When is the abrogation of the verses in the Quran? That's different. Where the Quran initially gave commandments and then later on it abrogated those commandments. But this topic which I'm speaking about right now is that the Quran doesn't have this deficiency like a writer. When you're writing a book, you're like, you know what? That's a mistake. Let me cross that out. Let me add something else in. You know what? Let me change the way that was and change it up. The Quran doesn't have that. Every single thing in the Quran is accurate, is precise. And let me tell you something else that's interesting. In Arabic, we have a science called Balagha. We're still on the first question, man. Astaghfirullah. We have a... The question is the miracle of the Quran's eloquence and style, yeah? In Arabic, to be an eloquent speaker, you need to know Balagha. What is Balagha? To summarize Balagha, Balagha is to use the perfect amount of words and the perfect words needed for Muqtad al-Hal, what your situation requires. And I'll give you an example. If I'm speaking to you and you're denying what I'm saying, Balagha would dictate or it would, it would require that I bring emphasis in my, in my speech because he's denying me. If he really denies me, I have to bring double the emphasis. This is Balagha. Balagha is the, that, that, this is how you tell an eloquent speaker for someone who just speaks rubbish. Alright? So Balagha means that your speech is completely in line with, which, with whatever the situation requires. Alright? And the words you use are completely in line with whatever the speech requires. Okay.
the Quran, it shows this high, high degree of balagha. And that's why you have passages in the Quran, they're very similar. They're very similar, but they're different at the same time. And I'll give you an example. Keep this in what's balagha? What's balagha, people? Come on. What's balagha? I'm putting you on the spot, man. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's, it's like the, the language that it uses in context with, with what they're talking about. It's perfect exactly what the situation requires. All right? Not one word off, not one word extra. It's perfect, it's precise. When Allah speaks about Hud alayhi salam, or when Allah speaks about Nuh alayhi salam, who comes first in ninth, in the ninth juz? Nuh alayhi salam. When Allah speaks about Nuh alayhi salam, Nuh alayhi salam calls his people towards Allah. He says, Ya The people said to him, We think of you to be stupid. And we see you to be a liar. He says, I'm not stupid. I'm a messenger from Allah. I'm only a messenger from Allah. What's my job? I provide to you or I convey to you the message of my Lord. And I give you advice. And I know from Allah what you do not know. Keyword, وَأَنصَحُ لَكُمْ أَنصَحُ For anyone who studied Arabic over here, a nominal sentence is not used. Okay? A verbal sentence is used. Let me explain this. In Arabic, we have a nominal sentence and a verbal sentence. A nominal sentence is where the subject of the sentence is a noun. To make it easy. So for instance, in, in English, we have Zayd stood. Zaid stood. Zaid is standing. Zaid is standing. Over here, by bringing Zaid first, in Arabic it says Zaidun Qa'imun. This is a nominal sentence because the sentence began with an ism, a noun. A verbal sentence would be Qama Zaidun. It still means Zaid stood, but don't you didn't bring Zaid first. You brought Qama first. Qama is a verb. So Zaid did the standing. One of the benefits of bringing a verbal sentence is if a verbal sentence is brought, it creates continuity in the speech. It creates continuity, meaning this thing happened again and again and again. Whereas a nominal sentence doesn't bring continuity, a nominal sentence brings strength and firmness in the speech, meaning 100% this is the case. Is that clear? A verbal sentence brings continuity, and a nominal sentence brings that the speech is in, it, it's engrossed, it's, it's perfect, it's exactly as it should be. Is that, is that much clear? Okay. When speaking about Nuh salam, the, the wording uses لكم, I give you advice. This is a verbal sentence. Just a page later when Allah speaks about Hud salam, Hud says something very similar. Rabbi, I provide to you, I convey to you the message of my Lord. لكم أمين, I am an advisor to you. The wording uses not I convey advice to you. It's not a verbal sentence. He says, and I am an advisor. It's a nominal sentence. Why the difference? Why the difference? If you look in the story of Nuh Salam, you'll see why. Nuh Salam called his people for 950 years. And it's not just that he called them, he tried every possible way. Oh my Lord, I called my people by night and by day. The more I called them, the more they turned away. So he said, I didn't stop. He said, I spoke louder. I spoke as loud as I could. And then when I got into the side, I put them in private as well. I spoke to them in private as well. That wasn't enough. They covered their ears. It didn't matter. 
Nuh for 950 years, he continuously again and again, different ways and different techniques he called his people. He said, you want money? Allah will give you money. You want wealth? Allah will give you wealth. You want forgiveness? Allah will forgive you. You want the sky to pour rain? Allah will pour rain for you. Every single technique he had he used. Again and again he called them and he called them and he called them. Hud also called his people. But it wasn't to this degree of 950 years. Now look at the verses used. When talking about Nuh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes him to say, لكم, And I am giving you advice. I continue to give you advice. The verbal sentence is used. Why? Because what does verbal sentence indicate? Continuity. And Nuh called his people for 950 years. years. When talking about Hud the verbal wasn't used. The sentence which indicates strength is used. You want to know why? Because Ad was a nation that could rip trees out of the ground. You know, like we think we're strong, mashallah, right? Ad, these people could rip trees off the ground, right? And when Hud called them, you think if some weak guy goes there and starts talking to him and listen to him, he needed strength, he needed confidence. Which sentence is used? The nominal sentence. It's perfectly aligned. The verses are very similar, but there's just a slight difference and that slight difference makes a big deal. Alright, this is just one example, and again, this is, these are two aspects. I've spoken about the harmony between surahs, I've spoken about inter-harmony between a single verse, and I've spoken about the accurate precision of the Quranic wording. There's many more aspects you can, which, can, which we can discuss this from, but I think we'll get past the first question, inshallah, and we'll move on. Jazakallah <laughs> khair for that amazing uh, explanation. The next question I have is if you could briefly discuss the significance of this of the scientific and numeric and phonetic miracles that are mentioned in the holy quran right so in recent times in recent times there's been a lot of attention drawn towards the scientific and numerical miracles in the quran now i'm just going to briefly explain this scientific miracles is what science comes around and it proves something right and science tells you the world is made in a certain manner we look in the Quran and it so happens that there's a verse which actually indicates that. So then you're like, okay, wait, how did that happen? Then science proves another thing. You look in the Quran, there's another verse which indicates that. You're like, alright, twice. Cool. Then science proves the third thing. Well, there's a verse in the Quran which indicates that. And you realize it's not just happening by coincidence. It's not just happening by coincidence. It's actually intended. I'll give you one example. Anyone studied how the Big Bang, how it's theorized, how it occurred? We have no like scientists over here. That's good. That means I can lie and you'll just believe me. Astaghfirullah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so genuinely speaking, when explaining the Big Bang, imagine a spring and you compress it and you compress it and you compress it, compress it, compress it, compress it, and all of a sudden, boom, you let it go. You let it go. Everything goes flying out. The Quran is speaking about the creations of the heavens and the earth says, أَوَلَمْ يَرَى الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا أَنَّ السَّمَاءَ وَأَنَّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ كَانَتَ رَتْقَ فَفَتَقَنَاهُمَا The disbelievers not see that the heavens and the earth were stuck together. فَفَتَقَنَاهُمَا So we split them. <coughs> if you think about it, the Big Bang is telling you that everything came together closer, 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 and then what happened? Boom, it exploded. And miraculously, everything happened to fall into place. Because there's no God for them, right? So everything miraculously, miraculously happened to fall into place. It's just a coincidence. Either, otherwise, none of us would be existent. The Quran is telling you, no. It may have happened. It may have occurred. But there was someone doing it. The Quran says, 
Do you not see that the heavens and the earth were together? They were they were stuck together. So we split them asunder. So the Quran indicates the occurrence of the Big Bang. Okay, so this is like one example of a scientific miracle. And then there's other examples. For instance, when it comes to iron. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الحديد, We revealed iron. We sent down iron onto the earth. The element, yeah? Allah could have said we created iron. What does he say? We sent down. down. Why? What's... Iron is not from earth. Iron is not from earth. So the Quran has these indications. So this is the scientific method. Then there's the mathematical method. Then there's the mathematical method. The mathematical method is the Quran has like an interesting play on numbers. So for instance, the number 6, the number 7, the number 9, the number 19. It's really interesting how sometimes the number 19 will be mentioned in the Quran. The number 19 is mentioned. If you count all the letters leading up to that number, there it's a multiple of 19. And then you count all the words. And then you look at the verse number, it's the 19th verse. So it's very interesting, correct? It's very interesting. Now, these miracles may occur in the Quran, and they do, but our, our what's it called, our belief should not be, um, what's it called, uh, it should not be restricted to these miracles. And the reason I say this is because science is something that changes again and again. As soon as new observations come in, a scientific theory will change. And for that reason, if your belief is that the Quran says this, for instance, science says this, science proved this, and the Quran said this years ago, what's going to happen? Once that theory changes, what happens to your belief in the Quran? Exactly. Do you see the problem here? Alright? The proper way, the accurate way of explaining it is, there's a Quranic interpretation. And the Quran said something, but this is one of the interpretations of that verse. That verse I told you a minute ago that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, uh, do disbelievers not see that the heavens and the earth were together? And then we split them apart. Ibn Abbas radiallahu an, when explaining this verse, he doesn't give the scientific, scientific theory. Ibn Abbas says, look, the heavens and the earth didn't give water. They wouldn't give water. water. Meaning the sky wouldn't give rain and the earth wouldn't grow crop. And then Allah split them and now the earth grow crops, grows crops and the sky gives water. rains. It gives water. Now this is one interpretation and another interpretation is the scientific interpretation I told you. If you believe that you know what the Quran 100% intended the scientific interpretation, what's the problem? Once that, once that science changes, let's assume in the future it was to change. What happens to your belief in the Quran? You start thinking the Quran got it wrong. Whereas in reality, it's not the Quran got it wrong. It's just because you believe that itself was the correct interpretation 110%. You see the problem is. And with numerical miracles, the reasons I don't really rely on numerical miracles is because there's a science called Rasm al-Quran. The science of writing the Quran. The Quran is written in a special manner. The Quran is written in a special manner. It's not written like normal Arabic. Many times in numerical miracles, you have to change up the rules of Rasam. They break them. That's not acceptable. You understand? So it seems really nice in the ears. Correct? And it seems to be, mashallah, very beautiful. But when you look at it from an academic perspective, it's not that strong. So for this reason, to understand the linguistic miracle of the Quran is much better. The ones I told you earlier, these are linguistic miracles. To understand Arabic, to understand the way the Quran approaches scenarios, the way it uses the exact, precise, accurate word, 
that's a lot better than using scientific and um, numerical miracles. There's another well, another one. What's the last one? Phonetic oh, miracles in the Quran. Yeah. This is also a uh, uh, a miracle which is discussed. Um, the, the the Arabic language is really keen. I have to go into like a bunch of rules to explain this. Every word has qualities. Every letter has qualities. Some letters come out very. They're very aggressive. Aqa, qaf. Some letters are very soft. They just slip out. They just flow out. Some letters are from the tongue, or from the from the from the lips. Sorry, not from the tongue, from the lips. And other letters they're from different places. Each letter has a different quality. Now you can say the same thing using five different words, but some words are some words have letters which are more aggressive. Some words which have letters which are more soft. Some words have letters which are completely balanced. Does it make sense? All right. The Quran will use a perfect word in the perfect place. When the Quran wants to really hold a person and grasp them, it uses a very aggressive word. When it wants to show softness and love and care, it uses the soft word. So this, this, these are again miracles which are in the Quran, but this specific field, it needs more research. Phonetic miracles needs a lot more research. You'll find stuff here and there, but it's not as thoroughly discussed as the linguistic miracles. And again, if you've studied Arabic, you'll see the beauty of the Quran. This is our first step. Take this, if you take one thing back from this podcast or program, call it whatever you want to call it, if you take one thing back, please take back, I need to learn Arabic. Right? And not just like a part-time, I, want, I need to learn Arabic properly. I need to know what the Quran is telling me. I need to understand the Quran and see the beauty of the Quran. It's not enough to be involved in, mashallah, programs. and It's not enough. We need to do more. We are a very special nation. We are a very special, we're academic, we're smart. Islamic academia is rich. It's rich. You have like, what, five books here. I have more books than my, in my personal library. I'm sure he does as well. You, go, you walk into an actual Islamic library, you're going to be shocked. These scholars, they're written on every single thing. Just for one person, for one person, Muhammad wasallam, they've researched the life of all of the narrators of hadith. A hadith, what is a hadith? A hadith isn't just the Prophet said this and done. It's not that simple. When a hadith happens, every hadith has a chain. Meaning a hadith came through this person, who narrated from this person, who narrated from this person, who narrated from this person, and then the hadith was codified in a certain book. This is what we say when you, when you say Bukhari narrated, that's what we mean. When you say Muslim narrated, that's what we mean. When you say Tirmidhi narrated, we mean he codified the hadith in his book. What if in that chain there's a weak narrator? So the scholars of hadith have researched the life of every single narrator. You don't believe me, come, come to my madrasa classroom, I'll show you books, volumes of book, books which don't finish. This one talks about weak narrators. This one talks about the narrators of the six books of hadith. This one speaks about just history in general. This one speaks about these type of narrators. This one speaks about hadith which are fabricated, which is a big dilemma, by the way. It's a big um, problem in our community. Many times we're not we're not we're not careful when quoting the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We quote anything and everything we hear. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is narrated to have said, "Kithab al-Mar'i kathiban an yuhadith bi kulli ma sami'." It's sufficient for a man to be deemed a liar that he narrates every single thing he hears. That he narrates every single thing he hears. Now look at us. We read something on WhatsApp, Mashallah, next year we're telling someone in the masjid. Islam is very serious. The ahadith of the Prophet are not any normal joke. You're attributing something to the Prophet wasallam. the hadith which is claimed to be mutawatir, meaning it's mass transmitted. Man muta'amidan Whoever intentfully or intentionally lies upon me, let him take his seat in the hellfire. So when we quote the Prophet, be very careful. 
And what I suggest is if you're not a scholar, if you haven't studied the science, don't quote the Prophet unless you're it through him or you're it through some scholar. Don't do it. Because you'd rather stand up here and speak about your personal experience and about the Quranic verses which, are, which you know because you memorize the Quran, mashallah, you read about the Quran, then quote random hadith from random places. And it doesn't matter if you read it in a book. It doesn't matter if you heard a big scholar saying it. For us, for us, for laymen, we do not quote the Prophet ﷺ before being certain that the Prophet said this. How do we be certain? You go speak to a shaykh and you ask him, can I quote this narration in a talk, in a bayan, whatever you want to talk about, and I'll tell you, yes, you may, go and do it. And then when you quote it, make sure you reference it. And a reference isn't a later book. A reference is the earlier books. This is a different topic. I have no idea where I got to this. But, <laughs> but, but where were we? Um, we were talking about the miracles. The, the yeah, so miracles. these miracles, they're not that well discussed. I was saying, if you want to learn, learn the Arabic language and you'll see how beautiful the Quran is. And start now. Don't delay. Don't delay. I'll do it in free. No, we're never going to be free, man. Let's be honest. The freest you are is right now. As soon as you grow, you get further into life and more and more things that occur. You get married, you get a family. No one's going to be free. Start now. Make time for it. Give it a schedule. Give yourself a schedule. If you can do it online, do it online. If you can't do it online, find a teacher in person. Right? And do it with them, inshallah. Okay, so uh, the next question is, what differentiates the Quran from the from other Abrahamic scriptures? Right. So, what differentiates the Quran from other Abrahamic scriptures? Very simple. Very simple. The Quran is preserved. Other Abrahamic scriptures are not preserved. Allah says in the Quran, That we are the ones who revealed this remembrance and we will take care of it. We will preserve it. It's not the Prophet who's doing it. It's not you. It's not me. It's not the Sahaba. It's not the millions of Fafad in Toronto and whatnot. It's Allah who's taking care of it. Allah Himself is guaranteed the Quran will be absolute. It will be completely perfect. It will be free from any contamination, from any deficiencies. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking care of it. And the Hafaz you see, the Hafaz and the Qurra and the scholars you see, they are the people Allah is using to protect the Quran. Respect them. Love them and respect them. These people who from morning to night they read the Quran, they're memorizing and they're listening to students. These people are the ones Allah has used to preserve the Quran. Imagine their value. Imagine their value. When it comes to other Abrahamic scriptures, there's a lot of differences. Number one, we don't even know who wrote them. Yeah. Number two, if you, if you do get a person who wrote them, it's normally like 100 to 200 years after the actual prophet. So if you look at the Christians, for instance, they have like how many different versions of the, of the Bible? A lot of different versions, yeah? And you're going to say, okay, the Quran has different recitations. We'll come to this inshallah later on. The Quran has different recitations. There's a difference between a different version and a different recitation. I'll give you an example. A different version, Bible A has 60 chapters. Bible B has 73 chapters. What happened to the last 13? Where did they come from? Are they both divine revelation? Then why did Bible A have more than Bible B? The Quranic recitations aren't like this. The Quranic recitations, although there may be differences, these are differences which complement the meaning. They never clash. They're not contradictory. And I'll give you examples when you get to the question, inshallah. But as of now, just think of this, that when it comes to the Bible, you have different versions. Each version has a different length, different chapters. Sometimes the content is clash. It contradicts each other. And many times, it's interesting, they claim that the person or whoever the um, person who wrote it was, he was touched by the Holy Spirit, correct? He was touched by the Holy Spirit. When you look at Bible A and you look at Bible B, B is a complete copy of A. That's not called being touched by the Holy Spirit. It's called plagiarism. Alright? Very, very clear. 
So the, the, the Abrahamic scriptures are not preserved, but the Quran is preserved. And if you want more detail, listen to the lectures of Sheikh Ahmad Didat. Ahmad Didat has done an excellent job in proving this. That when it comes to the Bible, and he's, he's, and you know, we're talking about this in the mosque. Imagine talking about this to a pastor. He's done it. And he's proving to them that the Bible is not preserved as it was revealed upon Isa alayhi salam. And if you want the biggest proof, the biggest proof is the Quran itself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the Quran is, uh, it's, it's, it's an affirmation for that which came before. Meaning the earlier books which came, the Quran will affirm the themes which are in line with the Islamic belief. The themes which are in line with Islamic principles and in line with monotheism, the Quran will affirm them. But as for the other beliefs which people added in or people took out, then the Quran will explain to you that those beliefs are, they're wrong. And the Jews and the Christians, they have a habit of changing their books. When it benefits them, they will change their books. I'll mention one narration to you. Um, someone, there was a Jew, a Jew in, in the time of the Prophet wasallam, a Jewish man and a Jewish woman, they committed zina, they committed fornication. The Jews thought to themselves, look, that guy's really nice, the Prophet is really nice. Let's go to him and let's ask him for a punishment. Because if we take the punishment from our book, what's going to happen? We're going to end up killing both of them. So let's go to him instead. So they go to the Prophet ﷺ. They go to the Prophet ﷺ. And as they get to the Prophet ﷺ, they're like, can you give us a ruling for this case? Can you give us a ruling for this case? And by the way, one more thing. The reason they had a problem with this is because these two people from were a high, they were of a high class family. Had it been some random person, they wouldn't care. But because they were of a high class family, they're like, you know what, we can't really, can't do that. We have to go find a lenient ruling. The Prophet says, find the ruling in your books. Find the ruling in your books. So they bring their books and they mention a verse which says, they're going to be taken on a donkey and they're going to be taken around the village and they're going to be humiliated. But they covered something underneath that. So they mentioned this part, but they're, look, look, look what it says over there. They covered the bottom part. The Prophet ﷺ had a companion. His name was Abdullah ibn Salam. Abdullah ibn Salam was a top scholar of the Jews. Top scholars. He knew the books inside out. And for your information, when he became, before he became a Muslim, if you asked any Jew about him, they'd say he's the best we have, he's the best person. As soon as he became Muslim, they turned on him. They said he's a horrible person, he doesn't believe in anything, he's this, he's that. They turned on him because he believed in Islam. When Abdullah bin Salam heard this, what did he hear? That the Jews are telling the Prophet that this is the punishment for this crime? He said, move your hand. He moved his hand and they seen the punishment. And so the Prophet said, no. Do the punishment which is in your, which is in your, Books. The reason I mentioned this example is because the Jews will tamper, they're going to play with their books. They're going to play with their books. And they got to a level where the Quran says, the Jewish laymen took their scholars as lords. They took their rabbis as lords. They forgot about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they took their own rabbis as lords. And this is what the Quran tells them. One of the specific commandments the Quran gives to the Jews is, don't take your scholars as lords. You only accept Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a Lord, تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ أَلَّا نَعْبُدَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَلَا نَتَّخِذَ أَرْبَابٍ مِنْ دُونَ اللَّهِ We won't take any lords aside from Allah. Meaning, this idea that you can't read your book, only the rabbi reads his book and the rabbi will explain the book to you, you can't do that. Don't worship the rabbi, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why even today, the Muslims, please read your Quran. Read your, if, you have, if you have objections, ask. We have scholars, you have people who are learnt with you. They're learning, they've studied for six, seven years. Ask them. But read the Quran. Be academically inclined towards Islam. Understand Islam. And don't just read any random book because on the internet, mashallah, you find everything from anywhere. 
and everywhere. Read books which are which your scholars, your local scholar, or your imam, or which any scholar you trust has. He's what's it called? He's told you about this. You can read this book. You go read that book. Like, look, you have a beautiful book over there. I, I mentioned this last time too, by the way. Ma'arif al-Quran. That's a very good tafsir. It's available in Urdu and it's available in English. You have a, a beautiful book over there as well. Tafsir ibn Kathir. Even though it's the summarized version, but it's a good book. Read them. Read them. Read about Islam, read about the Quran, and you'll see how beautiful it is. You yourself will find reasons to believe. This is one of the other miracles of the Quran. The Quran will touch your heart. The Quran will touch your heart. Remember I told you one of the beautiful things about the Quran is the speech is always exactly as it needs to be. You might not understand the Quran. You might not understand Arabic. But you'll be going through something in life. And one random day, like, you know what? Let me open the Quran. You'll open to a random page. And that page talks exactly about you. You read the translation, it's like it's talking to you. So the Quran will touch your heart. This is a miracle which no one else can do. Because Allah is your creator. Allah knows exactly what touches you. And the Quran is the word of Allah. The Quran is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Quran will touch your heart and you'll be surprised. You'll be amazed. And it'll happen once and twice and thrice. It'll happen again and again and again. So the next, the topic you touched about the different modes of recitation. recitation yes. So like, if you could speak about the different styles of Qirat and like how one can decide on like what's be- what's the best way for them hmm. to like recite. Do we have like a serious strict time limit? No, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, like, you guys tell me because you're in the podcast, correct? Yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, yeah we're cool? good. We okay. Can, yeah. I can go for like hours. I don't want to bother these guys. It's all good. The Quranic recitations, the Quranic recitations to understand this, we have to understand a hadith. A hadith which is said to be mass transmitted as reported by Abu Ubaid al-Qasim al-Sallam and other scholars. They say this hadith is mass transmitted. When I say mass transmitted, I mean it's the highest level of authority. The Quran, for instance, is mass transmitted. It's the highest level of authority. It's no longer a matter of what the singular chain is correct. The narrator is strong. This is mass transmitted. Everyone narrates it. Everyone mentions this. For instance, the Quran, everyone recites it. Correct? The hadith mentions that unzil al-Quranu ala sab'ati ahruf. The Quran has been revealed upon seven ahruf. What are ahruf? We're going to translate it as seven modes of recitation. Or just write seven modes. Forget the recitation part. Seven modes. The Quran has been revealed upon seven different modes. So recite in that which is easier from them. Now let me explain a bit of background context to this hadith. We're going to understand the hadith first. And after understanding the hadith, we're going to see whether it applies to our qiraat, our different recitations we have, and in what manner does it apply to our different recitations. The Arabs of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ, when he first became a Prophet, he was commanded to give da'wah to them. He was commanded to invite them towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The verses were revealed, O Messenger of Allah, proclaim that which you have been commanded. Call others towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he began in Quraysh, in his tribe, and he began calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's a very famous story that the Prophet ﷺ gathered all of the people of Makkah, all the elites, and he climbed onto a mountain and he called them towards Allah and his very own uncle, his very uncle Abu Lahab, he said, you gathered us for this, tabban lak, may you be destroyed. That is in Bukhari. Tabban lak, may you be destroyed. The Prophet didn't have to reply because the Quran replied, tabbat yada abi lahabim wa tab, may the hands of Abu Lahab and may Abu Lahab himself be destroyed. So, 
the Prophet started to call the people around him to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it slowly grew. Abu Bakr radiallahu brought iman and he called others, six companions, the very next day they brought iman and it grew and it grew and it grew. The Quraysh didn't like it. They started persecuting the Muslims. They started harming the Muslims. Now until now, where is the main invitation, the main call towards Islam happening? In Mecca. Where is it happening? In Mecca. See the Arabs, who here is Arab by the way? Where are you from brother? Um, Egypt. Egypt, you're from? Palestine. you're from? <laughs> you're from? Egypt. Over there? Egypt? We have a lot of Egyptians, mashallah. The Arabic you speak, is it the same as the Arabic my Palestinian brother speaks over here? No, it's not. Okay, anyone from Syria over here? Jordan? Different areas? Arabs have different dialects. Arabs have different dialects. And they all speak in different manner, manners. It gets to such a point, I've studied Arabic like thoroughly, yeah? You can give me any book, I read the book better than I can read English. Okay? But if you spoke to me in your Arabic, I wouldn't understand a single thing you said. It's a complete different language for me. Maybe it'll be better for you because you get used to speaking. But generally speaking, if someone, some brother spoke to me in like in, in like their own accent of Arabic, I'd be lost. I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I've studied Arabic. But the Arabic is so drastically different. It's completely different Arabic. Alright? So, Arabs have different dialects. They speak in different manners. Now imagine someone who grew up his whole life speaking in a certain what? manner. In a certain way. And then the Quran is revealed, but it's not revealed in their dialect, it's revealed in a different dialect. What's going to happen? It'll be really difficult for them. Alright? So now, the Quran, when it was initially revealed, it was revealed, revealed in the dialect of Quraysh. Why? Because that was where the Prophet ﷺ was, and that's the most eloquent of the, of the languages or the dialects of the Arabs. So it was revealed in a single dialect, and as it was revealed in the single dialect, the people of Mecca is really easy for them. Because the majority of the people in Mecca are from Quraysh. There are other people, but they're only a handful. But majority of the people of Mecca are from Quraysh. So it wasn't difficult for them to recite the Quran in this dialect. When the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, and the Sahaba migrated, now the Prophet and the Sahaba, they're meeting different tribes. And they're meeting different people. And before long, Medina becomes a stronghold for the believers. Now you have different tribes from different areas in the Arab lands coming in. And they're talking to the Prophet, they're meeting the Prophet Now, keep in mind, their dialect is different. Their dialect is different. The dialect in Medina, it's a bit different. So someone grows up, grows, grows up for instance, they grew up saying, Wadduha. Everyone recites Wadduha, yes? There's an Arabic dialect, Wadduhi. Then there's another dialect, Wadduha. There's slight differences. But they grew up their whole life saying it in this manner. So to force them to change their dialect, change their way of speech, to make it align or in line with this specific dialect of Quraysh is very difficult. So the Prophet ﷺ asked Allah, Ya Allah, please send them ease. And so the revelation came, Jibra'il came, and he told the Prophet ﷺ, the Quran has been revealed in a different dialect. He said, this is not enough, I need more, and more, and more, and more, until they reached seven different ways of recitation. Seven different modes. And now the Quran was... It was, it was basically it could, uh, the different tribes which were used to different ways of speaking it became easy for all of them to recite the Quran in different manners this is the hadith unzil al-Quran ala sab'ati ahruf the Quran is revealed upon seven seven modes right, this is one interpretation by the way seven modes the Quran is revealed upon seven different modes and 
these people they recited in different manners, but it became very easy for them. And the hadith actually mentions the Prophet ﷺ when he asked for ease. He specifically asked, Ya Allah, I have old people in my community. I have children. It will be difficult for them to learn a certain way of recitation. So bring ease, reveal ease. And so the Quran was revealed in these seven different ways, in seven different manners you can recite. Now, as soon as you hear this, what's the first thing your mind goes to? We have seven qiraat, right? So there are the seven different ways. That's incorrect. Right? There's a lot. This is just the background information behind this hadith that the Quran is revealed upon seven different modes. The Prophet ﷺ, he lives in Medina. The Sahaba live with him. And different Sahaba learn from him. And he teaches each Sahabi which is more appropriate for him. And certain Sahaba, he taught them two different modes. But three different modes. Depending on how capable they were. So he's teaching all these companions. And sometimes the companions, when they heard someone else reciting, like, what is that? Like Umar ta'ala, and one time he heard Hakim bin Hizam reciting. He looked at him and he's like, what are you doing? You're playing with the Quran. He says, no, the Prophet taught me. He's like, no, I don't care. He took him and dragged him to the Prophet Umar was very strong. Okay, He takes him, he takes him to the Prophet to get to the Prophet. Hakim bin Hizam is like, which are struggling. Umar is dragging him to the Prophet So the Prophet says, what happened? Umar says, he's reading the Quran different than the way you taught me. So the Prophet tells the person, read. He recites. Then he tells Umar to recite. He says, I taught you this, that's what the Quran is revealed. And I taught you this, that's what the Quran is revealed. No worries. So the Quran is revealed upon different, in different manners. And the Prophet taught different Sahaba whatever was easier for them. These Sahaba spread out and they taught their students. And don't think the Sahabi had like one or two students. They had a lot of students. If you look at the chains of the Qiraat, the chains of the individual recitations, they all go up to the, in like singular chains. That doesn't mean they were only singular students. There were a lot of students. There were a lot of students. But for codification purposes, we only use one chain. Or two or three chains. But generally speaking, there were a lot of students who the Quran was taught to. And the Quran was taught in every single house. It was read every, in every single street. And in the masjid, the imam would read every single day. So people learned the Quran and they learned the different ways of recitation. Now what happened at this point was, the Prophet ﷺ passes away. And before the Prophet ﷺ passes away in Ramadan, Jibreel came to him. And they had a habit, the Prophet ﷺ and Jibreel, they would recite the Qur'an to each other every single Ramadan. In the last Ramadan, it was doubled. And that's when the Prophet, it was one of the indications that the Prophet ﷺ was soon to pass away. The Prophet came and after this Ramadan, he taught certain Sahaba the last recital. He taught certain Sahaba the last recital. From these certain Sahaba was Zaid bin Thabit. Keep this name in mind. He taught Zaid bin Thabit the last recital amongst other Sahaba, right? And this was the last recital. Now, when the Prophet passed away, this last recital, this was the ideal recital. The other recitations were permissible. They were abrogated, but it wasn't abrogated in a manner where if you recite in a different manner, you're sinful. It was abrogated more so as to say that you should be reciting in the way of the last recital. Did that make sense? The other recitations until now were there, they were abrogated. But it wasn't abrogated meaning in a manner where you can't recite in that, if you're reciting that you're sinful. It was recited in a manner where you should be reciting in this ideal manner. We call this Nusikha al Rukhsati al Hatam. It was revealed, it was abrogated in a manner where you had different options, but the better option was the last recital, but other options were still recited. The time of Abu Bakr comes. And the Sahaba, they go out in war. After a certain battle, the battle of Yamama, I believe, against Musaylama, Umar radiallahu anhu comes to Abu Bakr. He says, look, 
Abu Bakr, a lot of the Hufaz we had, they passed away. And I'm scared if you don't begin to write down the Quran in an actual, like, proper form. Again, it's written in different areas. Every Sahaba had, like, their own, like, stuff which they wrote the Quran on with them. But if you don't recite it, write it in a proper form, we'll be lost. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu first said, how can he do that? The Prophet didn't do it. But Umar kept telling him, and Abu Bakr kept thinking, he said, you know what? This is good. We need to do this. This is a need of the community. In the Prophet's time, it wasn't a need because the Prophet was there. But now it's a big need. Our Hafal, our uh, guardians of the Quran, not memorizers, guardians. Hafizah means to guard. They're protectors of the Quran. They're dying out. So we should write down the Quran. So he called Zaid bin Thabit. Remember I told you who where was Zaid bin Thabit present? At the last recital. And he read by the Prophet after the last recital. He told Zaid, get a team together of top Sahaba, top scholars, and go around and ask people for their written versions of the Quran and get two witnesses for every single verse and write it down. And so they did so. And so the Quran was first compiled. Again, it was in the hearts of everyone. And everyone had their individual writings with them. But as a from the government or from the head, from the Khalifa of that time, an official compilation took place in the time of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala an. The Quran was put together. After this, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu passes away. Umar radiallahu anhu comes into lead. Umar radiallahu anhu passes away. Uthman radiallahu anhu becomes the Khalifa. In Uthman's time, the Muslims moved out a lot. They took over different lands and different areas. And as a result of that, what ended up happening was different Sahaba were sent to different areas. Now what happens, I told you earlier that the Prophet وسلم, he taught the Sahaba, he taught them one mode of recitation. Or sometimes two, sometimes three. But he wouldn't generally teach all seven. So a Sahabi would go to a certain land and he would teach his people the mode he was taught. Another Sahabi would go to a different land and he would teach his people the mode he was taught. And another Sahabi would go to a different land. So each different land, they had a different mode with them. Some were similar, some were different. But these lands, they never really met. They never really met as everyone from here met with everyone from here. That didn't happen often. In the time of Uthman, however, there was a great battle. And when that battle happened, the people of Sham, Syria, the people of Iraq, they came together. Now they both joined an army together, and obviously they're good people, they didn't recite the Quran. But the Iraqi hears the Shami, the Syrian recite, he's like, that's not how I learned it. And the Syrian hears the Iraqi recite, he's like, that's not how I learned it. And before long, there's chaos. You have a person saying, your Quran is incorrect, I don't know where you got that from. We heard this from so-and-so scholar, so-and-so Sahabi, and there's chaos. In this time, there was a certain companion, Hudayfat ibn al-Yaman. He was present in this battle. And when he seen this, he realized this is a recipe for disaster. So he went to Uthman ta'ala and he told Uthman, look, before your people screw up and before the Quran is chained, changed and we lose our, our reliance on the Quran like the Jews and the Christians have done, making, uh, uh, what's it called, compile the Quran and send it around to each land and make sure they recite on a certain way of recitation. And so at that time, Umar Uthman radiallahu an, once again, he called Zaid bin Thabit. And when he called him, he said, look, you had multiple ahruf before. He said, write the Quran the way it was, make multiple copies. And when you make those multiple copies, if there's any clash in the recitation, choose the recitation of Quraysh. Choose the recitation of Quraysh. Remember I told you earlier the Quran was initially revealed in whose recitation? Quraysh. And this is the most eloquent of speeches. And the reasoning, the reasoning I gave you for the different revelations of the Quran, what was the reasoning? To make it easier, right? Now all the Muslims have mixed. 
all the Muslims have mixed. And they're used to talking to each other. They got along with each other. So when you chill with your Palestinian brother for like a year or two, you can understand his speech. You can speak the same way he did. So that reasoning that was earlier present is no longer present anymore. And so Uthman told Zaid, if there's any differences, write it in the Lugha, in the dialect of Quraysh. And so Zaid bin Thabit did so, the Sahaba did so, and six, six main masahif, six main copies were made. From these main copies, one was sent to Basra. Basra is a place in Iraq. This is a stronghold of the, a stronghold of the believers. Another was in Kufa, another stronghold. A third was sent to Mecca. A fourth was sent to Sham, I believe. <clears throat> a fifth was kept in Medina for general usage. And the sixth was kept with Uthman ta'ala. There are different narrations, but this is the more reliant, reliable um, opinion. There were six copies made, and they were spread around. And the people of the lands were told, Recite the Qur'an upon your mushaf. Anything else you have, burn it. Burn it. How dare he? No. It was a hikmah. There was a wisdom behind it. Imagine today you recite the Qur'an in a certain manner. 1400 years you've been reciting this manner. And somehow, somewhere, you get a different manuscript and the Qur'an is written in a different manner. Now you all know the Qur'an was abrogated on those different manners, correct? But what about the person who doesn't know this? And he gets conflicted. I'm reciting in this manner, but the Qur'an is not in this manner. It's in a different manner. And now that he's conflicted, what happens? The Qur'an is not preserved anymore. It's just like any other Abrahamic scripture. He'll lose his trust upon the Qur'an. So when Uthman told him to burn your different masahif, it was, it was wisdom in his part. And it was, perhaps it was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who inspired him to do this. Because had he not done this, and had we had different manuscripts with different recitations in different ways, today we'd be in chaos. Correct? Because the layman doesn't understand that there were different recitations and at the point they were abrogated and we've remained upon one harf, one mode of recitation. We remain upon one mode of recitation. As for the rest, they were all put to the side. They were abrogated. The layman doesn't understand this. So if you open manuscripts, which by the way, the Orientalists are doing this. I told you, study Islam, be academic because these people are doing it. If we don't do it, they will do it. They're going to find, they're going to fish out different manuscripts. They're going to tell you, why is the Qur'an different than the way you recite? But we haven't read, we haven't studied, so how will we answer them? Correct? So these people are doing this. They're different manuscripts they're finding. So as Muslims, we need to study Islam. We need to study the Qur'an and properly from the correct scholars. And when we do that, inshallah, we'll see. We'll see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open our hearts up to, what's, to guidance, to what is correct. Nonetheless, this happened. And so Uthman told them, these other masahi, these other recitations you have, get rid of them. And there was some friction at first because the Sahaba were like, why are you telling us when the Prophet taught us this? But at the end, the Sahaba agreed and they realized this was the better opinion. And so they got rid of their different masahib and everyone came upon the masahib sent by Uthman radiallahu ta'ala. What's the mushaf by the way? I keep saying masahib, it's a copy. It's a copy of the certain way Uthman radiallahu had it written. Now I told you earlier, the way the Quran is written is very special. The way the Quran is written is very special. Special, it's different than other writings. That's why they say in Arabic, Khattani la yuqasan. There are two types of writing. You can't really make a replica of them. You can't really uh, copy it on that basis because it's, and those two types of writing are Khattul Arud, the writing of poetry, and Khattul uh, Al Quran, the writing of the Quran. There's a certain way it's written. And even that, many scholars argue, it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't have time to explain this in full detail, but just you um, quickly scan over this. The Rasul, sorry, get some water, brother, please. The Rasim of the Quran, 
the rest of the Quran is written in such a manner where there's no harakat and there's no dots. Let me explain this to you. When you normally read, when you normally read the Quran, is there any copy here? Copy of the Quran. When you normally read the Quran, every verse you read, you have vowels. You have a fatha, you have a kasra, you have a dhamma. Or like in Urdu, you call it zabrzir pesh. In English, I don't know what it's called. Okay, you have this. So, qul la amliku qaf has a dhamma, lam has a sukun. Number one. Number two, you have dots. On top of the qaf, you have two dots. Do you know it's a qaf and fa. On top of ataytana, in ta, you have two dots on top. In ya, you have two dots on the bottom. In ta, you have two dots on top. You have dots telling you which letter it is. Correct? Is this good? Is this understood? When the Quran was first written in the Masahif of Uthman it wasn't written with dots and it wasn't written with vowel markings. There were no fatha zabr, there was no fatha, there was no kasr, there was no dhamma. And there were no dots. The Arabics, they were very special, they were very learned. They knew the language really well. And their main focus, where they really learned the Quran was from their teachers. So they didn't really need dots in their written copy because they were learning from their teachers. And they were just applying that to the written copy they had with them. Is that clear? Alright? But one of the benefits of this was the fact that there were no dots and the fact that there was no vowel markings, this allowed the rasam, the text which Uthman prepared, it allowed it uh, to basically encompass a lot of different ways of recitation. Because there were no vowel markings and there were no dots, it allowed it to encompass a lot of different ways of recitation. I'll give you one example. There's a verse... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the believer, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, O you who believe, إِذَا جَاءَكُمْ فَاسِقُنْ That when a, um, when a wretched man or when a sinner comes to you with some, with some information, فَتَبَيَّنُوا Do your research. Now in Arabic, the way you recite this is, you, fa, you guys have to be creative over here, okay? Fa, after fa you have a ta, after ta you have a ba, after ba you have a ya, after ya, you have a noon, and you have a wow. Do you all follow that? Yeah. Okay? But what did I tell you earlier? There are no markings. markings. There's no dots. So another recitation of this is فَتَثَبَّتُ The exact same, you could call it a skeletal structure. This is the exact same structure. Which I wrote for فَتَبَيَّنُوا That's the exact same structure for فَتَثَبَّتُ And the meaning is very similar. Tabayyan means to do research. Tathabut means to make sure you're sure. Be 100% sure before spreading that information. So what do we learn from this? What you learn from this is the fact that the rasam, the fact that the Quranic text didn't have any structure, allowed, sorry, it didn't have any vowel markings, and it didn't have any dot, it allowed for it to encompass a lot of different recitations. Is that clear? Is that easy? Now, not every single recitation is accepted. For a recitation to be accepted, there's three conditions. For recitation to be accepted is three conditions. Ibn al-Jazri says, There's three conditions. Number one, it has to be in line with an Arabic position. It's not that you can just say some random word in some random place. It doesn't fall in line with any Arabic understanding. And you can call it Quran. 
That doesn't work. Number two, it has to be in line with the rasam. Remember, I told you the rasam is such that it doesn't have dots and vowel markings. So it, it encompasses a lot of different variations. And number three, the most important one, it needs to go through a chain. You can't just make the Quran up. You have to have learned from your teachers, who learned it from their teachers, who learned it from the Sahaba, who learned it from the Prophet And this was the main part that every single recitation we have nowadays, if you look at the chains, they all go back to the Prophet So a certain scholar will recite فَتَثَبَّتُ Another will read فَتَبَيَّنُ There are different recitations, but both of these have their chains and they're both in line with the Quranic um, skeletal form. And they go. They both go back to the Prophet And for this reason, both recitations are equally permitted. There's no such thing as one is better than the other. They're equally permitted. And we all have. We most of us recite in house. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. There's other recitations. Nothing wrong with that. It's all equally permitted. And the scholars who have studied the Qiraat, they know all ten. There's not seven, but there's ten. They know all ten with all the different variations as well. Is that much clear? Are we good? Brothers? Yes. So before you said that, after, like, when, the, uh, when there was the last recitation, there was only one that was better than the six others. All these, so I said that the seven modes we have are not the seven recitations, right? These okay. ten recitations which we have, they all fall under one half. They all fall under one mode. Does that make sense? I said earlier there are seven modes the Quran is revealed upon. The other modes were later abrogated. And I said it was abrogated in a manner where it wasn't necessary, it wasn't imposed upon the people, but they were told this last recitation is the ideal way. And in Uthman radiallahu anhu's time, he gathered everyone upon one harf. All of the ten recitations we have now, because I told you they all go back to the mushaf, the skeletal form which Uthman prepared. So they all fall under one harf. Under one mode. Does that make sense? Yeah. So once again, the hadith mentioned there are seven different modes. Out of these seven different modes, when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, one mode was preferred over the others. That was the last recital. But it wasn't imposed upon everyone. And Uthman radiallahu anhu's time, due to the fitna or the problems that could have arised, Uthman radiallahu anhu had the Quran written in one mode. But that mode he had was such that it could encompass many different recitations. The mode was such that it could encompass many different recitations. recitations. And therefore, by way of it encompassing many different recitations, what we have now is we have 10 different ways of reciting the same Quran, but they all fall under that one mode, which is the last recital. Okay? So you can recite the verse in a different way, and they all go back to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They all go back to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And just the last one I'll mention right now is, the different recitations, I mentioned this earlier, the differences in these recitations is not contradictory. These recitations, they complement each other. And I'll give you one example. I'm sure you've all have heard, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. There's another recitation, Maliki Yawmiddin. There's another recitation, Maliki Yawmiddin. Malik means, anyone know? King. What does Malik mean? Owner. Is there a difference? You tell me, what's the difference? Like, owner, like, like, the owner of a slave. 
You're thinking like... <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like... You give me this bottle? Yeah. I own this bottle. Am I the king of this bottle? No. <laughs> Serve me bottle? I don't do that, do I? Correct? I own the bottle. Am I the king of this bottle? No, I'm not. Alright? A king with his subjects, he's their king, right? Does he own every single person in the empire? No, he doesn't. It's, like, it's not like he bought them. They're free men. But there's a difference. Allah says, Maliki yawmiddin. Allah is the king of the day of judgment. But at the same time, Allah is also the owner of the Day of Judgment. Meaning every single person and every single being and every single creation of that day, not only does Allah own it, Allah is their king as well. They are all subjects and slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see the two different recitations, they don't contradict each other. They complement each other. They provide different meanings. They provide a perfect understanding of the Quranic, what the Quran is telling you. And just to add on that, notice that when I own something, you own a bottle, you own a, a laptop, you own a phone. Do you own time? Allah says He is the owner of time. Yawmiddin, the day of resurrection, it's not a tangible thing, it's time. Allah owns that time. Allah is telling you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has such ownership over each and every single thing in that area on that day, it's as if the day itself is also the slave and the possession of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? So these two recitations, they don't contradict each other, they complement each other. Likewise, in this other verse I told you earlier, فَتَبَيَّنُوا and فَتَثَبَّتُوا تَبَيَّنَ means to do research. Be clear. تَثَبَّت means to make sure you're 100% sure. So don't do some like research which is like half-hearted. Make sure the research is at such a level that you have no more doubt left. Do you see how the two recitations complement each other? And they don't clash. This is how the differences in the Quranic recitation is. Every time you have a different recitation, if the words are actually different, the words are not such that they clash and they contradict. The words are such that they complement each other and they fill the meanings which the other one has not covered. Does that make sense? And all of this falls under one mode. And there are seven different modes out of which six are now abrogated. And one is remaining, according to one opinion. We'll stop with that, inshallah. <laughs> is that clear? Is that good? Yeah. Do you want to go continue? It's your no. call. Yes. No. Uh, so when we say qirat, do we refer to the mode or the recitation? No. Qirat is the recitation which falls under a mode. So what's the, what's the word for mode? Harf. Harf. Okay. Harf and ahruf. Ahruf is a plural. Harf is a singular. This harf is preserved. And under this preserved harf, we have the different qira'at, the different recitations. Okay, and in terms of recitations, there's 10 uh, unanimously agreed upon recitations. All right? We recite from the recitation of Hafs and Asim. Asim is the reciter and Hafs is the narrator. We recite in this recitation normally. I'm sure the other brothers, anyone recite from worship over here? There's other recitations as well and they recite in a different manner. Again, these are all complementary and if you do tafsir, if you do tafsir, with Sheikh Ahmed inshallah, you'll see that he'll point this out for you. Okay, how different recitations complement the meaning and they don't clash, they're not contradictory. Okay. And just one thing I'd like you to finish off with is how can one or what steps should one take to keep himself or herself connected to the Holy Quran? The Quran, the Quran has three rights upon us. Very brief, yeah? One is 
to recite. Number two is to ponder. And number three is to act upon it. Recitation of the Quran is key. Every Muslim, every single day, you need to recite. Why? Because Allah says, Allah Only at the remembrance of Allah will hearts find rest. Look, we all have our problems. Every one of us has their own problems. Whether it's your shaykh, whether it's me, whether it's you. And everyone knows their problems. I don't have to come and tell you my problem. You don't have to come and tell me your problem. But we all know we have either social or family or financial depression. Whatever it is, there are problems, correct? How do you find peace in this world full of problems? Turn to the Creator. Turn to Allah. The Quran is Allah talking to you. The Quran is Allah reaching out to you. Imagine you go back to Allah on the Day of Judgment and you meet Allah and you haven't once understood the message Allah gave to you. Imagine how we're going to talk in front of Allah. How we're going to talk to Allah. How we're going to, with what face will we meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So number one, recite. And when you recite, please learn tajweed. Learn how to recite. Okay? His tajweed is very good, mashallah. So learn by him. Bother him. Don't let him go free. Get your time with him. And tell him, I'm going to call you. Either you call on phone or you're going to study by him. Make sure you learn tajweed. How do you recite? Especially my Arab brothers. Why do I say this? The Quran is revealed in Arabic. But not the Arabic you speak. <laughs> Alright? Read the Quran. The Quran has certain rules. The Quran has certain, certain, certain ways it's recited. For instance, when a meme, uh, when a meme comes with tashdeed on it, you do ghunna. You don't do amman, you say amman. When a hamza or a alif comes with the hamza after, you do mad. As-sama'a. You don't say sama'a. So the Quran has certain rules and certain ways it's recited. Make sure you learn that. Make sure you learn by the scholars, by the Quran who know how to recite. And recite Quran every single day, number one. Number two, ponder over the meaning. And the best way I told you is to learn Arabic. Learn Arabic, join a class. I'll teach. I teach Arabic. Join and do it seriously. Don't give it like half your heart and like you're busy doing other stuff the whole day. Give it attention. Give it your time span. Schedule yourself. Every single week, I'll spend five hours, seven hours. For two years, you'll know it. That's all you need. But learn the Arabic language. Understand the Quran, you know, and read about the Quran. I'll give you a few books right now, just to get us going. Again, we have time to Ramadan. So one book I always tell people is Divine Speech. I'm sure you guys have all heard of Numan Khan, yeah? So him and like a co-author, they wrote this book, Divine Speech. The book is very simple, and it just helps you understand the structures of the Quran. It helps you understand the, the details of the Quran, how the Quran is, how the sequence of the Quran is. Number one. Number two, read Tafsir. And I told you two Tafsirs already. What was the name? Anyone remember? Ibn Kathir, good, that's one. And the other one I told you guys was? Ma'arif for quran And it's available in English and Urdu. And I don't know what Arabic is. I don't think it's written in Arabic. But you can read it. Ibn Kathir is available in Arabic. Read these tafsir and have an understanding of what the Quran is telling you. And if ever you have a problem, you don't understand something, go straight to your teacher. Or come to a scholar. Speak to us, we will help you. We want you to engage with Islamic academia. We don't want to turn you off. I told you Islamic academia is very rich. So understand the Quran, learn it, and understand you're always a student. Don't jump to your conclusions and your uh, your ideas. Read about the Quran, understand the Quran, and whatever book you read, make sure you run it through a scholar first. Because as I told you before, there's a lot of information out there. And the Orientalists are attacking Islam. Every book they write, and every many of the books they write, they attack Islam. I'll give you an example with this Quranic, um, in this Quranic theme. There's an Orientalist, he speaks about how the Quran is perfect, beautiful, the mirror compositions, and the ring compositions, and like every surah mirrors each other. He speaks about this. 
So you're so engaged, you're like, wow, the Quran is so beautiful. But then in the middle, he puts his poison in there. He tells you, you know what, if you're a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim, it doesn't make a difference. He tells you this. And he uses his understanding of the Quranic rhythm and the Quranic meter to basically throw you off and make you think what he's saying is the Quranic interpretation. This is what they try to do. So don't just take any random book and read it. Speak to your scholars, speak to your teachers and read the book they tell you, books they tell you. I told you divine speech. I told you Ma'arif al-Quran. These two are good for now. And if you want more, then come back afterwards, inshallah. And number three, we have to act upon the Quran. We have to act upon the Quran. It's not enough to read. It's not enough to understand. We must also act upon it. I mentioned earlier that Hafaz, when you say Hafiz, it's not just someone who memorizes. Guardian. It's a guardian. There's a hadith which mentions that one of the people that will be punished on judgment day will be a Hafiz. And a boulder will be taken, it's going to be thrown onto his head, and it's going to roll and roll and roll. And the angel will walk, he'll get the boulder, he'll bring it back. And by the time he comes back, his head will be formed again. And he'll throw it again. And his head will pop. And it's going to roll and roll. He's going to go get the boulder, he's going to bring it back, he's going to throw it again. This is the person who memorized the Quran, but he didn't act by it by day, and he didn't, sorry, he didn't recite it by night. He didn't act by it by day, and he didn't recite it by night. So we have to act upon the Quran, and whatever the Quran teaches us, we must bring into our lives. This is the third um, uh, right the Quran is upon us. <laughs> Any questions? All clear? We're going to end it off here. Alhamdulillah. Allah accept us from you guys. I was talking to a friend yesterday and I told him about this podcast and I'm really happy. You don't have to include this in there, by the way. You can if you want. Okay. But it's good that we're doing this. It's good that this is happening. Right? And I want you guys to support this and propagate it. This group over here, I came here like two years ago or one year ago. I don't know who remembers me, but I did come here once. And I was really surprised and I was really happy. We don't need hundreds and billions of youth coming. We need 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, but it has to be the same ones every week. We want quality, we want you to change. We want you to take something back from this. It's not just that you hear a lecture and it's motivational and it's amazing and whatnot. It's not just that. You need to go home and take something with you. Right? And that's why after we eat, when you get home, the first thing I want everyone to do, you can take this as homework, yeah? Write a schedule. Don't just think of one, write it. And in that schedule, include how you're going to recite the Quran and include every single day for 20, 30 minutes, you're going to try reading about the Quran. Alright, we make this intention and we're going to make sure by nighttime, inshallah, we have the schedule with us and then this will become a means, inshallah, of your success. And it'll become a means of my guidance as well, inshallah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to gather us all with these friends and more in Jannah as well.